0: Morning church. Now I wasn't here last week um, when Adam preached so I listened to it on the podcast and um, I thought it was a really great analogy Adam when you talked about the seesaw and about how you know sometimes it can feel like we're sitting on the seesaw stuck up in the air high and dry with what the weight of everything that holds us down and how God then comes and sits on our end of the seesaw to balance things up and bring things into a different perspective. But what really made me smile was the story of your sister <clears throat> and how she, being heavier than you, used to sit on the other end of the seesaw and leave you high and your father used to come. And it reminded me of when I was growing up because, as many of you know, I was, I'm fourth of six and um, my brothers, I had two older brothers <clears throat> and an older sister, my two older brothers taught me to wrestle and so we'd come home from school and we'd go in the lounge and we'd have the red corner and the blue corner and we had the bell and um, we would start wrestling and of course they overpowered me you know they were bigger and they were stronger than me and so of course they overpowered me and they used to pin me on the floor and they used to take off their socks and then lay them across my (laughs) face come on that's good we like it so that I had to breathe through their socks. Now, is it any wonder I'm not married? Because I thought that's what all men did. Anyway, being a very, very patient woman, I've spent the rest of my life getting my own back. And um, one day when my brother, we were having a buffet and my brother asked me to get him some strawberries and cream from the table, so <clears throat> I got the strawberries and I put them in the bowl and I got the mayonnaise and I <laughs> put it all over the strawberries and I gave it to him and he took a big spoonful. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> anyway, brothers, eh? But I had a very happy childhood um, and I learned to wrestle. Um, <clears throat> um, this, is the last, um, this is the last session in the Book of Acts, We've done it over two autumn series, and I think it's actually been really phenomenal. I've learned so much myself, and I hope you guys have as well. You know, it's, um, it's much more difficult when someone gives you something to preach than someone saying, preach what you like, because you have to really study hard. You have to listen to what other people are bringing. You have to listen to what God's saying, yeah. and you have to be... Uh, part of that and already what I've got to say this morning has been partly said already and so I know I'm on the same page as God this morning and I know that we've got other things to come that God still has to say to us this morning. Um, We're now in Acts chapter 13 and um, I think this is a turning point in the book of Acts so it's probably a really good place to leave it and what I want to talk about this morning is um, From Persecution to Programme. because I want to look at the first few verses of Acts um, 13 and I'm really only going to speak on two verses but I'm just going to look at the first four here and it says now there were in the church of Antioch prophets and teachers Barnabas, Simeon who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, um, Manion a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch and Saul and while they were worshipping and fasting worshipping the Lord and fasting the Holy Spirit said set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them and then after fasting and praying they laid their hands on them and sent them off and so being sent out by the Holy Spirit they went down to Seleucia and from there they sailed to Cyprus and then they went arrived at Salamis proclaiming the word of God in the synagogues and then they went on to Paphos and and so on and so on and they went on and on but I just want to pull out these couple of verses that I've highlighted in yellow here while they were worshipping and fasting the Holy Spirit said I want to speak about um, spiritual disciplines this morning, and it really, <coughs> and it really um, adds on to when I spoke on Acts 9, because that was something that was very much on my heart. Adam said last week in his message, and I know we've said it throughout the book of Acts, that so much of what we're trying to do here. At BCC is in line with that early church. You know, we talk about putting God front and center, and that's exactly what we want to do. This is not about any man. This is not about me or Mark or Adam or Rob or Prince or Vlad. It's not about us. This is about God and this is about His church. And in order to look at what God wants to do with us in His church, we've got to look at ourselves in the context of the whole world. Because whatever God wants to do here, it's not going to be separate from what's going on in the world. It's the world that God loves. And he loves us, and we're his instruments for what he wants to do. <clears throat> and so I just want to look at two things this morning. I want to look at how the church moved out of Jerusalem. And then I want to look at the spiritual disciplines of that church. And just bring them together with the spiritual disciplines I talked about in Acts 9. Because unless we are going to be spiritually disciplined, which is one of our values, isn't it? Yeah, come on, yeah. We are never going to be moving forward. The world is becoming a terrifying place. It's becoming more and more fearful, and if we lift up our eyes and look at, suddenly, Russia and Turkey are, 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 are putting themselves in a, a position where we could be at war. Okay. <clears throat> if we look at that kind of thing, it's going to be, uh, make us fearful, but if we look at God and our spiritual discipline, the church has got to become more spiritually disciplined yeah. because yeah. these scriptures say, as they were worshipping and fasting, the Holy Spirit said. Yes, it's true. God speaks through those media and already this morning, God has spoken as we've been worshipping. And I don't think there's a week that goes by here without God doesn't speak. And we haven't spoken on worship here for a long time and I want to just spend a few minutes on that because we have an opportunity to create an an environment for God to speak and we need to hear what God's saying. (coughs) We've got to stop dwelling on me and my and start thinking about God and yours. What is it, God, that you're wanting to say? So chapter 13 here is a turning point. And the spread of the gospel in the earlier chapters was as a result of persecution. If you look at 1 to 12, the church spread because of persecution. Now, from 13 onwards, it spreads because of a program. Paul's, Paul's missionary journeys... And the first 12 chapters of the book of Acts were mostly about Peter. But from 13 onwards, it's going to be about Paul. Um, Saul, as he's known at the moment, but within a few verses, he's known as Paul. So <clears throat> we're moving from Jerusalem to Antioch. We're moving from Peter to Paul. And we're moving from a church that's been spread because of persecution to a church, that's being, to church planting that's being planned and church planting that's going out in an, in an organized fashion, guided by the Holy Spirit. And God uses both ways to make people move. And I want to just um, <clears throat> talk a little bit about that this morning, how God makes us move. And they went to Antioch, and Antioch was in the capital of Syria, and it was the third largest city in the Roman Empire at that time. And so it was the place that they went to because of persecution. And from there, Paul then started his missionary journeys, of which he did three, uh, well, approximately three missionary journeys. And so um, how did God get the church to move out of Jerusalem and I I want to just focus for a minute on how does God make us move because I think it's really interesting and when I look back over my life and see how God has made me move um, from one place to another or from one idea to another or one concept to another um, I think or one job to another how does God make us move I think is really fascinating Um, When we look at the first 12 chapters and we look at the persecution of the church you can think about well God why did this happen? Why did Stephen have to die? Why did he have to be stoned? Why did this terrible thing have to happen? I remember when I was 18 and I've my very first ward and my nursing training I remember a missionary woman came in. I mean I was 18 she must have been about 60. She spent her whole life Um, as a missionary in other countries and now she was on this ward that I was working on and she was dying and I remember saying to God sorry I must have been 21 I wasn't a Christian then 21 and I remember saying to God God why are you allowing this woman to die she spent all her life serving you why are you allowing her to die I couldn't understand how God enabled difficult things or or God didn't change things Um, to make things happen the way I thought they should happen. And that was the beginning of my kind of searching in terms of why God allows things to happen. Um, So sometimes we find hard and difficult things happening in our life. And and Adam picked up on that this morning. God spoke to him about scars in our life you know, scars and things that have happened in our life that have wounded us and that have hurt us. And sometimes we want to say, why God? Why God? Why didn't you answer my prayers the way I wanted you to? Why didn't you do things the way I wanted you to? What are you doing? I don't understand it. And what we don't realise sometimes that our situation is a result of our own decisions and choices. And God wants to take us that bit further in order to help us to understand the consequences. Most of us, even as we get older, do not think about the consequences of what we're doing. (coughs) In the long term, in the very long term, we might think about how it might affect me this week, next week or next year. But we don't always think about the consequences long term. And God wants to use our situation and circumstances to change us and to help us. Part of getting things right is getting things wrong. (laughs) You have to get things wrong in order to get things right. And every time I go wrong, it directs me towards getting something right. Every time God says no, it's leaning me towards a yes. You know, life isn't like that. We don't go through life without making difficult, uh, without making wrong decisions and wrong choices and doing things wrong. We don't. be human beings. But every time we go down that road, it should help us to direct us toward a different choice and a different circumstance and a different way. I've done loads of things. Well, it might surprise you. I've done loads of things wrong in my life. <coughs> But it's only in doing those wrong things that I am who I am because I've learned from them. I've changed from them. I've allowed them. And I have got scars in my life, but scars don't hurt. Scars don't hurt like open wounds. And if you allow God to heal you, yes, you might have a scar, but a scar doesn't hurt like an open wound does. And... Um, <coughs> what we forget sometimes is that we see things from one dimension dimension so often we see things in the natural god sees in two dimensions he sees the natural and the spiritual and god sees things in a different way to us god sees a much bigger picture god isn't focused on bcc god is focused on the world and god is it says the eyes of the lord go to and fro across the whole earth looking for those whose hearts are for him. You know, God's got a big world as his focus, and we are a a part of that. And our faith is about trusting God. Our faith is about trusting what we don't see. God isn't revealing everything to us all at once. I think if he did, we'd probably freak. But God is revealing to us what we need to know at the time to move us on in his, in his purposes. Faith is about saying, okay, God, I don't see the end of the road, but I'm trusting you. And I'm going to keep walking on that road. As I said once, faith is about taking a leap into the dark, <coughs> knowing you're going to land in a safe place. You don't know where that place is, but you know it's going to be a safe place. Our faith is about trusting God. And we like to stay in our comfort zone until we know what the next stage is. And God doesn't want us to be like that. God wants us to, s- how are you going to grow your faith unless you step out in it? If you only ever move in what you know and what you can do, you're never going to grow your faith. Faith is about stepping out. And I'm sure these disciples like being in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was, a, was a, a mature church. They were adding to it, but it was a church that was in, that was based on the letter of the law. You know, they were questioning, shouldn't these new people be circumcised and all this kind of thing? But, um, you know, we don't naturally want to move. We like to stay in our comfort. But God has to move us sometimes and wants to move us in his purposes and not just geographically. God does sometimes want to move us geographically. I've been all over the world. But God wants to also move us in our thinking. And that's really important. And there's a great example of this. And I remember many years ago studying this um, because of something that happened to me. Um, And there's a great example of how God likes to move people on in Exodus 23, 28. And it's the story of how God enabled the children of Israel to conquer the Hivites, the Canaanites, and the Hittites. And the strategy that he used, and it's this, and and God says this, he said, Oh, Let's go back a bit he said and I will send hornets before you which will drive out the Hivites the Canaanites and the Hittites from before you I will not drive them out from before you in one year lest the land become desolate and the wild beasts multiply against you little by little I will drive them out before you until you have increased and possessed the land God knows the pace at which we can manage God doesn't tell us everything at once. It's a walk of faith bit by bit. Do you know what hornets do? Do you know what a hornet is? This is a hornet. Okay, so that little one on your left, um, they grow to about two inches. And that one on your right is probably how they feel to us. The actual size. actual (laughs) size. So why did God use hornets? Now a hornet is from the same family as a bee or a wasp. But God didn't use bees or wasps. He used hornets. Why did he use hornets? Well, bees only sting once and then they die. And in the wasps, it's only females that sting. Good on you, girls. (coughs) (laughs) (laughs) But hornets sting repeatedly and they become aggressive. Hornets sting repeatedly and they become aggressive. Now, if God released hornets into this place, what would we do? We would run. We would move. Now, this is a literal story, but it also has metaphorical meaning as well. God used hornets to compel, to compel the Hivites, the Canaanites, and the Hittites to go. You see, they weren't going to give up their territory. That was who they were. That was where they were going to stand and fight. And the children of Israel had to Possess the land and God helped them. After all, they'd been in the, in the wilderness for 40 years and they'd had everything easy. God had provided, everything had been easy for them and now they had to fight for themselves but God was going before them and he sends in the hornets and the hornets would have kept stinging until the Hivites, the Canaanites and the Hittites surrendered. Now that's what God does with us sometimes. Because of his great love, he wants to compel us God will never make us do anything against our will. God has never taken away our free will and our choice. God will never put your arm up your back and say, you've got to do this or you've got to do that. Everything we do in God comes out of surrender. It comes out of God, I'm willing. And there have been times when I haven't been willing and I've said, God, I'm not willing, but make me willing. I'm willing to be made willing. And then God helps to change your heart and change your mind. God works through surrender. And because of God's great love for us, he will often put us in situations where we're compelled to move Mm. because there's no other option. And metaphorically, God will keep stinging us until we surrender. It's because of his love, because he's trying to move us to a place for his glory, but also for our good. And I can remember when I lived in Zimbabwe after I had initially when I arrived I had a permanent residence permit and then after a few years they withdrew them all and they gave me another two years at that time. So I was there for six years and when I got to my fifth year I applied for an extension and I was told that it would take six months to renew my visa and in that time I wasn't allowed to work. Well I knew I couldn't live for six months without work. (coughs) Who was going to provide for me? Now I'm not saying God couldn't. But I had nowhere else to live, and um, I I needed to earn money in order to live and survive. And um, I kept applying, and they kept turning me down. And I got to three months before my visa was due to expire, not knowing what I was going to do and where I was going to go. And I went to um, immigration, and I asked them for a six-month extension. And to my surprise, they said yes. They said, if you go and buy um, an open-ended ticket to leave the country in six months, we'll... will extend your visa for six months so I went and bought a ticket I went back to immigration said here's my ticket and they said oh sorry we've changed our minds three months off you go well that's how things worked over there and so I then had three months before I had to leave the country it was stamped in my passport and so I god what am I going to do I am compelled now I am compelled to find an exit strategy because now I know I can't stay here And sometimes God puts things in our life to compel us to move. There are times to knock on the door and there are times to surrender. There are times to say, God, I give up. Now, God, have your way. Show me the way forward. Show me what you want me to do. Show me where you want me to go. And so at that point, I surrendered. And I did leave within three months. And sometimes God needs to use more than one thing to get us to move. And it may be coming from different angles in your world. And God's wanting you to surrender so that he can get you to move. So God used the persecution of the church in Acts to get them to move to get them to move out. Otherwise, how was the gospel going to spread? And God used that in order for them to move on to Antioch. Antioch was 200 miles north of Jerusalem. It was a long way to go. But we see now that transition from Peter to Paul and we see them moving. And after spending about a year there, Paul and Barnabas were chased out of Antioch. They went to Lystra and then Paul spent eleven years on his missionary journeys, and just to give you a bit of an idea, I don't know if you can see that. Um, in his missionary journeys, he spent um, in his first one he travelled fifteen hundred and eighty-one miles, and he probably did all that on foot or donkey or boat. In the second year, the second journey, he was over three thousand miles. The third one, three thousand, and then in Rome, two and a half thousand. And he spent all those days traveling and journeying over a period of about 11 years on the missionary journeys as God compelled him and moved him and directed him and planned with him and without him because you read that there are times when Paul said God the Holy Spirit constrained me but the Holy Spirit led me and we need to recognize the ways that God helps us to move and to see things and to direct us and it's all done through surrender if Paul hadn't been surrendered to God how could God have moved him around for those 11 years and directed him and shown him what he wanted to do and on his second journey Paul had a disagreement with Barnabas and they separated and then we could think oh my goodness this is awful but no it wasn't we now had two missionary teams and Barnabas went off with um, who did he go he went with John Mark and Paul went with Silas and now we have two missionary teams just because they fell out God, God wasn't going to say oh my plans have collapsed No, now I will work with two teams and so on and so on. And God God moved them on. And so when we look at the church in Antioch, um, the church in Antioch was made up of a multiracial team of people from a wide perspective of society. Mm -hmm. That mirrors who we are. I think that is so exciting. There was um, Simeon who was called Niger. Niger means black or dark skinned. So he could have been African or he could have been both. And then there was Mannion, who was a boyhood companion of Herod Antipas. He'd grown up in Herod's household. There were men from Cyrene um, who'd begun ministering among the Gentiles. There were prophets, there were teachers. God had brought a group of people together who were part of the community, but also who were gifted in the gifts that he needed to build the church. And here is in verses 3 and 4, I, I just want to emphasize, because I feel that God is going to move us in this direction in some, in some way. And it, it says, no, not that one. It says, um, in verse 3 and 4, it said, um, let me just find it. Verse 3, it says, um, uh, when after far- Then after fasting and praying they la- laid their hands on them and sent them out. And then it says, so being sent by the Holy Spirit. So there's two types of sending. And the first type of sending is um, being sent forth by the Holy Spirit. And the second kind of sending is being released by the church. And I think God has got that in mind for us. Now, I, through much of my Christian life, I thought that it was up to the church to direct me and my purposes and my plans and it would come from within the body of the church or the leadership of the church to empower me and I was so wrong because it's not that it's up to the church to release me it's up to God to empower me and We need to set our hearts on, God, what have you got for me? What is your purpose and your plan for me? No matter how old, no matter how young, what is your plan and your purpose for me? And then the church to release. Why do we need the church to release us? Because we need the church to support us. It doesn't matter whether you're geographically moving or whether you're doing a new innovation in our area. You need the church to recognize your gifting and you need the church to support you with prayer in what you're doing. And I know that it's in the heart of these guys to empower people and to release people, but it's not up to them to find out for you what God wants you to do. It's up to you and me to find out what God wants from us to come to them and say do you see this in me because they will see the gift in us they will see and help us to direct us and i remember when i was 23 and i left here god had so put it in my heart to to go to zimbabwe to leave here and there were many people who were against me and i knew that god was moving me and i did have the blessing of the leadership and the leadership Um, followed me all those years um, and kept me connected with the church which was so important I needed to know there were people back here praying for me and supporting me and on my page but there were many people who used that scripture that said she went out from us because she was not of us (laughs) (laughs) they were so wrong but in those days I didn't understand why are all these people against me God has gifted me God has sent me out but it's through lack of understanding And we need to know what God wants us to do. We need the church, we need to know the difference between being sent out by the Holy Spirit and being released by the church. The Old Testament um, shows us this, that God's servants were anointed with oil um, to undertake what God had called them to do. And in, in Acts here, we see that they laid hands on them and they sent them out with the blessing of the church. So they're almost like on a piece of elastic You know, we're keeping an eye on you, we're helping you, we're supporting you, we're watching over, you're part of us, you belong to us, and that's really important. And we see that Saul and Barnabas needed that extra power from God. They needed them to have hands laid on them, they needed to be sent out, because if you go on and on in Acts, you'll see that they came to a time of famine. So who was it that supplied the food for Paul and, um, for Paul and um, Barnabas and others. Who was it? It was the church. Because the church they had originated from, the disciples, recognised, hang on, these guys are out there serving God, they need food, let's get food parcels to them. It was the church that supported them and kept them through, ing- who was it that kept them when they were in prison? Yeah. It was the church. The church were praying for them. Who took them food in prison? The church. Yeah. <coughs> and it was the church who were watching over them. Um, so we need to we can see here in Acts that God had God was sending the church out but in sending the church out um, God was still keeping the church as the church as it were and teaching them to care for each other to look out for each other now we've got interests in macedonia we've got interests in other places and i'm sure that god is going to expand that and expand that as each of us recognize whether it's in another country whether it's in this country whether it's in the borough you live in or whether it's in your place of work whatever it is god's going to expand the kingdom through us but we need each other to support us and help us and back us when we're out there So the second thing I want to just look at in the last few minutes then is about the spiritual disciplines in the church. And you will remember, I hope, when we talked about Acts 9, and I talked about the church in a time of peace was being built up, walking in the fear of the Lord, walking in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, and the church multiplied. And in Acts 13, we see here, worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said. Prayer and fasting and commissioning this is what this is about these are all spiritual disciplines which we must see in the church and we do see in our church we have our quarterly fasting which is incredible as we build on that that night before when we start our week of prayer and fasting when we have an earthquake that is so important to set the scene for that week ahead because the scripture says worshiping the Lord and fasting the Holy Spirit said the Holy Spirit wants to speak to us The Bible tells us that um, worshiping, that God inhabits the praises of his people. You know, we haven't spoken about worship for a long time up here, but I want to speak to you about worship. You know, when we come into the house on a Sunday morning, it's not about you and it's not about me. It's about God. And we have an opportunity, as Adam has said this morning, to position ourselves to hear God. And if you've had a really bad week, or if you're struggling, or whatever's going on, this is your opportunity to hear from God. And I was looking around during the worship this morning, and I was seeing people who were not entering in, who were not singing, who were not positioning themselves. It says that God inhabits, so God makes his home in the praises of his people. Now, I know that there are times when I might come in here heavy-hearted because of situations or circumstances in my life but you know what? as soon as I lift my hands and I position myself to surrender it changes the atmosphere for me and you know I know that some of you don't want to raise your hands because you're worried about who's looking at you get over it (laughs) because it's not about you And if you really want to hear God speak to you, then position yourself for surrender. This is a position of surrender, saying, God, my hands are open to you. And I know, and sometimes I force myself to do it, even when I don't want to do it. Every Sunday, I will raise my hands in this place because I'm positioning myself to surrender, to hear God. And sometimes it might take me the first verse or the second verse too, and I'm just singing because I'm singing, but then something starts to rise up in my spirit because I've positioned myself for it and all the while you're standing here like this and all the while you're standing here like this you're not positioning yourself you know we come here for corporate worship to lift up our voices to bring a habitation saying God come God come come and and live and dwell and presence yourself with us and if you are surrounded by people who are uh, who sing, you know, it can just lift your spirit yeah. if we're all part of it. You know, um, where I work at St. Christopher's, we have a Christmas carol service um, <clears throat> every year and it's outdoors and we have up to 2,000 people who attend and it's done along the front of the hospice and sometimes they have to close the road. There's so many people who come, but do you know what? They don't sing. They don't sing. And I go and I'm thinking, great, 2,000 people singing, this is going to be awesome. And they don't sing. And I have to keep, I keep walking around the perimeter trying to find a group of people that are singing so I can give it some welly. And I've got to the point now where I have to actually go and stand by the choir because they're the only people that are really singing. Yeah. You know, these people are obviously heavy hearted, they've got memories, they've come in memory of somebody who's died there. But nonetheless, can you imagine what difference the atmosphere would be if all those 2,000 people lifted their voices and began to worship and began to praise? you know when you come in here on a Sunday morning come determined to create the home that God is looking for you know if you were coming to my home I would do some preparation I would you know present my home in a way that would make you feel welcome but you know what we want to present this as a place where God feels welcome God, I've come in here this morning. I've had a terrible week, but I'm here to surrender. I'm here to worship. I'm here to lift up my voice. I'm here to sing because we want to hear you. While they worshipped and fasted, the Holy Spirit said. These are disciplines which God has put into the church and into our lives because he can speak through them. They're vehicles for God to speak. You know, there's very rarely a day in my life that goes by when God doesn't say something to me whether it's through a text that someone might send me, whether it's through something that someone might say to me at work. They have no idea what's going on in my head, but they say something which I'm... Just this week, I woke up one morning really fearful about something, and I woke up, and I got out of bed, and I declared the scriptures. God, you haven't given me a spirit of fear. I'm not going to be afraid of this. I'm determined I'm not going to be. And within a couple of hours, somebody had sent me a text about, don't fear God. You know, sorry don't don't fear what's happening to you fear not god is with you that person had no idea what was going on in my head but god did and god used someone to send me a text to encourage me and to strengthen me you know there isn't a day goes by why because i position myself Because I get up in the morning and usually there's a song in my heart. Usually I wake up. Why? Because there's a song in my heart when I go to bed. I usually sing something as I'm going to sleep. It's all right, you don't have to live with me, it's fine. (laughs) (coughs) But I sing something. Why do I do that? Because I'm positioning myself. I'm positioning myself. Very often what you wake up in your mind in the morning is what you went to sleep with at night. And I wake up with a song in my heart and I sing my way to the bathroom. It's not about whether I feel like it or not. It's because it's there and because I want to create an atmosphere for God to speak to me. Isn't it incredible that God allows us to do that? Draw near to him, he says, and he will draw near to you. And we are able to position ourselves for God to to, um, say something to us. We are very blessed in this church to have some incredible incredible musicians. And I thank God for that. But even without musicians, we should still be able to worship. Even without people to lead us and guide us, we should be able to worship. And the second discipline here about fasting and praying and commissioning You know, there's no doubt that we're living in terrible times and we need more discipline, I think, in seeking God, in prayer and fasting. I'm glad that we do it quarterly, but it could be in our own lives more often. And just in these last couple of minutes, I just want to read you some statistics that um, I was looking through this week because... We've got to see ourselves in the context of what God wants to do in the world. The United Nations Refugee Agency reported in June this year that wars, conflicts and persecution have forced more people than at any other time since records began to flee their homes and seek refuge and safety elsewhere. It said the number of people forcibly displaced at the end of 2014 had risen to a staggering 59.5 million compared to 51.2 million the year earlier and 37.5 million a decade ago. The increase represents the biggest leap ever in a single year. Globally, one in every 122 humans is now either a refugee, internally displaced, or an asylum seeker. And if that were the population of a country, it would be the world's 24th biggest country. Do you know (coughs) half of all refugees are children? And it says, since 2011, the main reason for the acceleration has been the war in Syria. Now the world's largest single driver of displacement. Every day last year, an average of 42,500 people became refugees, asylum seekers, or internally displaced. A fourfold increase in just four years. Why is God allowing all these people to move around the world? Mm -hmm. He must have a plan and a purpose in this. He must have... People, the early church was moved because of persecution. These people are moving because of persecution. And the United, um, the, high, the UN High Commissioner for Refugees said that this crisis has now reached a tipping point. I mean, that is really serious. And he said that there are, we no longer have the capacity to pick up the pieces. That's what he said. So what do we need? We need, well, how can this mass movement of people be helped well the church has got to rise up god has to have a plan somewhere i don't know what it is but God, we cannot ignore what's going on in our world with God wants us to do. And I think that if we aren't really behaving as the church, if we aren't strong in our disciplines, and if we aren't able to see what God wants to do in the world, not just in BCC, but what is God preparing us for? I believe something much bigger. If you look at some of the things Mark has shared over the last year or so about this place has become a bit of a platform for people springing into Europe people coming across from other countries and springing across god has got a purpose for this place and we've got to take our eyes off ourselves and see what he's doing i don't claim to have the answer but i know that god sees not just physically but he sees spiritually and because of his great love for us and for the world he's going to use those hornets i believe to sting us to compel us to compel us into movement, and we need to be ready in that place of surrender. Amen.